Okay, cool. Sweet. Cool. Let's do it. It's episode 96 of G.I. Joburg. And we are in the thick of reviewing Operation Dragonfire, our foray into Deke. And today we take a look at day three. I am Steven. And as always, I'm joined by the full panel. Introduce yourselves, boys. I am Paul from Joburg. Undercover Rob. West Coast Cujo. And I think we're going to plunge straight into our definitive sculpt section. This is a character that got barely lip service in the Sunbow cartoon, but had quite a nice featured role in Operation Dragonfire. It is none other than the G.I. Joe OG-13 machine gunner and bass player and surfer and weightlifter and all-round nice guy, rock and roll. He's a righteous dude. and say that there are only two versions in contention here. (laughs) Rock and Roll is one of those figures that I think has the distinction of coming with a famous German World War II era machine gun, the MG-42, which was a frighteningly efficient machine gun. It was legendary, but a very, very interesting choice for America's Ultimate Fighting Man. Anybody got anything to say about uh, G.I. Joe's American heroes wielding Nazi weapons? Uh, as uh, most people who have played Call of Duty, the original Call of Duty um, can attest, and the original Battlefield can attest, uh, the German weapons actually worked a bit better. Sorry. I mean, don't get me wrong, a, a, a Colt in hand is great, but the rest of the stuff, yeah... Thompson's shoot like like butter, man, um, compared to the American machine guns of the day. So I can understand that. Or maybe maybe um, a good way to see it uh, is that it's a family heirloom in rock and roll's sort of, you know, maybe he's got like a military past. Uh, I mean, a military family. So maybe his grandfather or his father used it in World War Two, or, you know, pulled it off the hands of a dead Nazi and you know, use it to kill his uh, the dead Nazis squad mates, and it's just been in the family ever since. Maybe it's a lucky charm. <laughs> well, it is a very effective weapon, objectively speaking. So, regardless of what its backstory might be, just to give you an example, the comparable MGs or machine guns of the era had cyclic rates of about 450 to 600 rounds per minute. The MG-42 could spit out 1,200 rounds per minute, which earned it the nickname Hitler's Buzzsaw. This is a very effective suppressive fire weapon, and even effective as an anti-aircraft weapon. And also not a good name for your dick. Sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> carry on. <laughs> but it seemed to set the tone for rock and roll wielding rather atypical weapons for his designation. I mean, he never had a typical squad automatic weapon. Rock and roll starts out with this German gun. His next version, he's got a pair of dual miniguns. I mean, that's a fabulous weapon that I just used to wield uh, with much glee on the battlefield, going... And completely annihilating absolutely everything in rock and roll's path. And it's with some regret that I see he does not wield them in his appearances in Operation Dragonfire. Which is just unfortunate. And something that I also find unfortunate is that where he's seen wielding them in the comic book, all the barrels seem to be spitting rounds all at the same time, which is an artist error that always creeps in. And I know you've explained this to me, Paul, and you've said, what's more exciting than having, you know, just a sort of a burst of fire coming off one barrel it's that a burst of fire coming off all the barrels at the same time. This is true of the mm. Rapid Assault Motorcycle artwork, the box art, and it's true of Rock and Roll's appearances in the comic book. In fact, most appearances in the comic book of any kind of minigun or a rotary cannon has all the barrels firing at the same time, which is bonkers, and that's not how a rotary cannon works. I mean, the, the function of having multiple barrels is so that you don't burn out any one of those barrels too quickly. Yeah. It's a heat dissipation <laughs> function more than anything else. Uh, so it, it makes zero rational sense to have all of those barrels discharging a bullet at the same time. And also, like, the mechanism behind all those barrels in order to firstly feed ammunition to each of these, these, these mechanisms and to be able to discharge rounds. I mean, it's just like, what? You're multiplying your weight, like, exponentially. And for what reason? So you can go through your ammunition seven times as fast? <laughs> it's just bonkers. <laughs> and think of all that that's wall of the, the weight of steel that's coming off the, all those barrels. I mean, that kind of recoil is... Not, yeah, yeah, it's going to put you flat on your ass. Anyway, enough science. Guys, my definitive rock and roll version is one that you'll never be able to buy on the aftermarket unless you're good pals with a guy called Jim Godfrey. Jim whipped up the sweetest custom of rock and roll for me and this guy if you need a visual reference you need look only as far as youtube and our gi joeberg channel where paul and i do a, an unboxing of of our our custom commissions by jim godfrey jim whipped up a super sweet rock and roll which captures the essence of the character and is gorgeous gorgeous in ways that no mass-produced figure can ever be it has incredible paintwork and the detail is only further enhanced by water slide decals. I, I presume they're water, sli water slide decals that have... Yeah, they're water slide decals, yeah. To, to simulate tattoos on his bare flesh. Okay, this goes above and beyond the Call of Duty in terms of, of just layering your action figure with detail. And it is so sick. He's wearing a wife beater with combat web gear over him. And he's got plenty of gear, but at the same time has a lot of flesh on, on display. So you can see he's got tats on his shoulders, his biceps, his forearms, his chest, his back. It's a very, very elaborate job, and 
it's it's playable artwork <laughs> i am so enamored with this figure and i would be a fool to say that any other rock and roll version comes close to this much character so i thank you jim and it's my custom rock and roll definitive sculpt for the win what's your non-snob answer <laughs> yeah, I was actually about to say, I mean, can we even actually allow custom figures? No, uh, I suppose we that's can't. That's kind of a bit of a cheat. We can't, but it is far and away the best rock and roll I've ever owned. That is going on the record. But uh, I think I've spoken enough, and I think we'll come back to... Modern era figure. Yes, a modern era figure, correct. It's made using modern era parts, but I'd say this steps out of those distinctions, those petty distinctions between vintage and modern era, and elevates itself into the realm of artwork. And you need only see the incredible detail in this guy's blue, blue eyes uh, to be assured of that fact. Anyways, I could gush over this figure for a long time, and I already have in a video review. So uh, let's swing the mic over. And we'll, uh, we'll come back to me once once I feel like everyone's had a say. Maybe I'll tip the balance. Yeah, Rob, I was going to ask you. In favor of supersonic fighters Ooh. or Star Brigade. <laughs> My favorite is, is, is one that doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> it's, okay. it's an imaginary one that I, I play with in my mind. Huh. I'd probably go with version 2, which is from 1989. This is the version that I've always known. I mean, you look at the original and he, he essentially looks like every other... G.I. Joe that came out in the original line. Um, and those guns are super amazing, despite the fact that obviously the artwork always depicts him shooting them, you know, all barrels at once. Um, <laughs> Full rock and yeah. roll, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and he has like a cool gun that he attaches to his leg, um, which I think Stephen didn't have because the, the pegs were broken or the gun was lost. Both. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks impressive um and his outfit is quintessentially soldier like you know like army um like being kind of mottled like camo pants and the, the what do you even call that color on his top brown <laughs> tan <laughs> tan <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a lot of details on this figure. I mean, especially because he has all of this equipment here. The figure itself has a lot of, like, you know, like little pouches and belts and things. I feel like almost like Rob Liefeld designed this character. <laughs> At least this version of him. <laughs> Which, in this case, is not a bad thing. Yeah, I'm probably going to stick with number two. That's the 1989 version. One for custom figure, one for 1989. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll probably have to agree with uh, Rob. I'm, I'm not a real big rock and roll fan. I, I mean, I love the music, obviously. But <laughs> the figure never really stood out to me because I, I was just always looking at the bad guys. His his original figure, the, the bullet belts, they, they still they're still a pretty strong profile. What, what is it, Rock Viper or something gets some a lot later? There's a couple other figures that get cross bullet belts. Uh, I'm a little foggy on who. Big Ben. Okay, yeah. Big, Big nice Ben's brother. one of them. Mm. I guess the next thing is who did the, what sculpt did the beard right? Like, what when when they're describing uh, rock and roll on the file card, there's some depth to them. 
and, and I like I like some of the beards, not some others not so much. Uh, I think I'm going to stay safe and go with V2 though. Just a, just a like Rob said, just a nuanced character, a lot of details. He's OP, but I mean that's the first time you got an underhanded uh, Gatling gun, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure everybody that's a fan of Ventura wanted to do that cut down scene for quite some time. Oof. But you um, know, rock and roll is a sexual Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> really? <Old penis. laughs> He's a sexual Tyrannosaur. <laughs> yeah. I ain't got time to bleed. Well, e- even though he's original 13, he still gets a lot of play, especially in the comics. If we're talking Citizen's book, which I've not stepped into yet, uh, when I do, his portrayal of rock and roll does intrigue me. Um, I'm not going to say I'll, I'll enjoy the uh, journey, but... But I'm interested to see what he does with the character. And if you've read that, go ahead and, and uh, tell me your opinions if you want to. But V2 for me, that would be 89, which is a good year. Paul, what do you got? Steve was talking about those machine guns of rock and roll V2s. And I just couldn't help but think of like straight out of Compton. But in my brain, it was like straight off a copter. Crazy motherfucker named rock and roll. <laughs> and then... There's another line that's like, when he, when I'm called off, I got a sword off. And I'm like, yeah, that's rock and roll. Because he's got his like, trusty little shotgun. And honestly, there is no other rock and roll in my mind. The uh, first version of rock and roll, which is the green shirt version of the original 13, was only something that I discovered upon reading the earlier issues of G.I. Joe. Uh, when I got the uh, completed G.I. Joe trades, uh, volumes 1, 2, and 3, which features uh, the original 13 quite heavily. So that was the first time I'd seen rock and roll in uh, in a look that wasn't what I was used to. And version 2, well, technically, it's you know, it's known as version 2, but that's the, the cool one with the, with the tan shirt and the bandoliers and those big bad, uh, you know, Gatling guns. That, to me, is rock and roll. And then um, something kind of funny about the whole situation for me is like they mentioned, you know, the whole rock and roll angle to him and all that. But the other day, and, and don't judge me, I was marathoning um, Full House and Full House in the original series of Full House. The guys, the dads, the one character, Joey, I mean, he knows Jesse. There we go. That's his name. That's how much I cared. But anyway, um, they're friends with uh, the Beach Boys. And there's one Beach Boy that looks a lot like Rock and Roll. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rock and Roll's version 2 visage was taken from from one of the Beach Boys. Just looking at it now. Anyway, I love this toy. It is my ultimate Rock and Roll. I think it's a... Not only is it an outstanding figure on its own merits, it is the Rock and Roll. I cannot understand why Hasbro has never given us a modern interpretation of this. I mean, this is the version that's in the video game, and this is one of my favorite toys in the house. I honestly wish I could have had a modern era version of this, but hey, whatever. <laughs> so that's two for, that's three of us for, for version two then, right? It's a clean sweep. Rock and roll. And that is I something think, I just say. So. <laughs> I think, uh, I kind of forgot to bring it up, but kind of put a bookend on Stephen asking about German weapons and whatnot. Interesting to note on the 89 file card, I believe it says he delivers 4,000 rounds per minute out of muscle velocity 
of 3,300 feet per second. <laughs> um, that's an interesting distinction in and of itself, because if that's a real number, I'm cool with it. But if it's not, and Hama wrote that, it's the first time he's used the number 33 when it's not on the Cobra side. So, interesting. But to go to the German things, it's it's worth noting that we all know Hama carries a heavy hand. Not heavy hand in his writing, but he he, he knows the game. Uh, Conrad Hauser, that's a German last name, and, and that's an Aryan kind of frame if you ever saw one. So there's some interesting things going on. I, I think a rock and roll's gun, that thing probably intimidated a lot of GIs on the battlefield. So to own mm. it is probably pretty boss. There's a German gun included in your favorite uh, smaller playset or vehicle, I should say, Cujo. The night landing comes with a German MG. Or is it the MP40? Yeah. That sort of cylindrical um, box magazine mm. type machine gun. Mm. Damn fine gun, that. While we're still on the topic of rock and roll, and just before we cartwheel off into the distance, but the rock and roll from the Star Brigade, that's the one in the clunky spacesuit. Um, <laughs> have you guys ever like wished that they had done a, a better version of that? Did you guys ever feel disappointed that rock and roll was kind of stuck in a deep six body? I always wanted to crack it open so I could use that head mm. to have an uncapped head for version 2 mm. just to give it some added dimension because it's a damn fine head sculpt trapped in that D6 mm. body but that said I think it was a <laughs> fun figure since he had the use of both arms but I didn't yes. own him he was Rob's one like we divvied up those um, those armored troopers so let's hear what Rob has to say about that version. But didn't we end up with two in the end? Uh, think, not of that like we figure. Have we have two Robo Joes and I think two Dukes. Uh, I, I sort of acquired some Joes from a, a work friend who was like, you like this stuff? Well, I've got a, a big box full of them. They're all yours. Well, shit. You can have these. Rock and roll is still unique in our collection, Robbie. Nice. And yours. <laughs> what isn't unique or at least um the the way that i interpreted it um in day three of operation dragonfire mm. uh, very early in the episode the cobras are rushing towards some sort of south american temple where the joes are and in the water there's a bunch of uh i suppose rocket propelled jet ski type water vehicles <laughs> and who is piloting all of these vehicles? <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. because the, the, the lead one, I'm like, yeah, that, that's Copperhead. That's also Copperhead. And that's also Copperhead. Wait a minute. Do these guys not know who Copperhead is? Yeah. They think he's not. Is he, what, is he Copperhead Viper now? You know, the, the pilot of vehicles? Well... Who wants to earn a no prize? <laughs> Who wants to prove why that is indeed not an error, but in fact completely intentional, and who's going to offer a rational explanation for why that is? Anybody. I, I challenge you. I dare you. The only explanation I can offer, 
uh, starts with the fact that they've given him vi- a visor over his eyes to take away his personality and therefore sort of creating a, a troop builder out of Copperhead. <laughs> that's the only argument I can offer. Or should I say that's the only explanation I can offer. And I know it's weak source, so... <laughs> <laughs> But I know Steve, he's looking for a particular answer. <laughs> no, not really, I got nothing. It is pure and simple art error. You know, I'm sure mm. someone said to the animators, like, uh, so Copperhead is leading a bunch of night vipers who are riding on the battlefield robot uh, hovercraft. Uh, and the, the the guys were like rifling through, through the box while they had the phone in the one hand. And they were like, so which one is Copper Viper? And they're like, oh, it's the green one. <laughs> so they pulled out the green one. And they're like, which one, which one's the Night Viper? Oh, it's green. Oh, okay, so it's the same, same guy then, basically. So they just duplicated mm. the same seated uh, animation for all the battlefield robots. It's a fantastic shorthand, but um, I guess no one picked up soon enough that, oh, oh, whoops, um, there's one distinctive character leading these guys, and the rest are the drones that we see driving everything and setting up everything and being the general dog's body techie. I mean, the one yeah. Night Viper in this episode is even depicted with like a satellite uh, rig, a sort of portable dish, uplink dish as part of his standard equipment. It's incredible. I mean, they, they get so many of these vehicles to look so accurate and so good. You know, you're like, oh, these guys are doing such a great job. And then they make these little mistakes where you're like, damn, you guys are bad, as bad as Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I also wanted to just uh, throw into that whole mix. It's, it's something about Deke that's kind of unique <laughs> is how... In the Deke series, something like the Devastator actually comes across as pretty cool. Um, Whereas that Battlefield robot... I bet you want one of those hovercrafts now, right, Paul? Come on. No, 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 (laughs) no. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Uh, But when you see one of those hovercrafts, it looks like a tuna can with, like, propellers at the back. And it's so visually unappealing. Uh, It's like... It's like... I I actually had trouble recognizing it at first, because I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) I've never owned one, nor would I ever want to, but to anyone who does, I presume it's completely hollow underneath and cheap, just like the damn Devastator, which, oh my goodness, it is the Fred Flintstone mobile of the G.I. Joe world because the occupant's legs are sticking out the bottom of the damn thing. It's hilarious. Especially if you've got um, flippy knee kick action on your toys, you know? <laughs> so. Yep. Animation flubs aside... Copperhead doesn't get the spotlight too much. Was his voice too much Riverboat Gambler? Did it throw you off of who you thought his character was from the figure? I think they were trying honestly to emulate his uh, voice performance in the Sunbow cartoon. But it was like a Canadian trying to do a Crawdaddy accent. And it just, (laughs) you know, it it didn't sell as well as the, the original voice actor managed to get it. But yeah, I seem to recall Copperhead always having a bit of a drawl, you know? Is that my imagination? (laughs) Well, I I didn't think Booth handled him too badly on the page. I mean, he did go pretty hard into the file card about him gambling a lot. So I I, I didn't mind his, at least his character portrayal. Yep. And just nice to see him in a suitable environment and doing what he does best. Like, 
Yeah, I, I buy that. Uh, it was a surprising utilization of classic Copperhead, but we learned pretty soon why Copperhead makes a reappearance in this miniseries. It's not just a cool Easter egg for us fans of uh, the '84 lineup. It's yeah, unfortunately, there's a there's a, <laughs> a yellow panty in his future. <laughs> the cliffhanger was. Cobra Commander's back on the stage. Where does this episode kick off? Once again, we lose a lot of information between episodes because all of a sudden we've cut to a new location inexplicably. It's like, at least in the Freedman era, when you went to a new location, there was some contextualizing. There was some, like, like lead-up. It's like, okay, this component has fallen into the sea, uh, and descended into this deep trench. We've got to send a dive team down there. Like, at least there was a kind of an establisher. It it only takes one scene. Maybe one from the Cobra briefing room and one from the G.I. Joe briefing room if you really want to sort of play it out a bit more. But here, we don't even get that kind of lip service. It's literally like, we open the episode, they're in an exotic location, we learn only later through some like rather forced exposition by one of the characters. In fact, two of the characters. I think... Sergeant Slaughter? Uh, no, Matt. Yeah, it's Matt. Matt and uh, I think Ali Viper and, and Matt both at, 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 at different points kind of explain why they're in South America. Uh, because, okay, mm. yes, it's another source of dragon fire. Right. We had to kind of work that out for ourselves within the first, I don't know, six minutes of this thing. Oh, no, it's Norgahide. Norgahide's got this massive exposition. He's like, yes, we're going to need Cobra's help if we're going to use the Lake of Dragonfire. And, you know, like, it's like, okay, we're going to this temple to find some more Dragonfire. Right. He did channel Freedman with all that uh, traps and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Very Indiana Jones. Oh, that's a familiar territory. It's like, Let's stop everyone from just shooting red and blue lasers. Let's rather have them fight the environment. Well, for some reason, Booth saw fit to make uh, Nagahide at least a a, a, a a character that you could get behind when he saves... What did he save? A monkey? Or something like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very altruistic of the Cobra Poacher um, to be worried about the monkeys. But I suppose he, in so doing, he's really just saving his own skin. Because he doesn't know what effect um, the booby traps would have, but still, it, it does. It does read as him being like, "Oh, you silly monkey! Let me hold you and protect you from making a fatal mistake." <laughs> um, guys, do we want to talk about the big, uh, I suppose, emotional high of this, or at least the the, the initial part of the episode, and that's uh, Scoop's discovery. Almost by complete accident, he's allowed access <laughs> to his private files. How, does anyone have anything to say about how that was handled? I, I, I want to jump in because it stood out and it still sticks in my brain. It is, it is so serendipitous. It is like, it is like the universe worlded. You know? Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm gonna translate this footage that you um, just sent me, and while I do that, here, why don't you just browse your private confidential Cobra file, man? I suppose it was no. a pre-social media day and age, so you know, getting an opportunity to to take a look at your own Facebook page uh, was pretty novel for Cobra Troopers. 
Well, that, but also, I also love, like, the MacGuffin, you know, that they throw in there, which is, like, some cockroach that, like, short circuits uh, one of the chip boards, and then it, like... <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't that. mind that. I don't mind that nearly as much it. as I mind the supremely contrived way in which Destro turns into the camera and explains everything with absolute clarity. Like, yes, we need to convince Scoop that it was G.I. Joe that destroyed his family home. And they're doing this while they're standing outside watching the blaze. It's just, like, it's the most convenient storytelling. And kids are not that stupid. Well, hold I refuse on now. to believe. I refuse to believe that they needed it to be that obvious. Like addressing into camera. Oh, this is our evil plan. <laughs> it's just not, <laughs> it's not subtle. It's not clever. It's not. It's, I mean, it's just stupid. Yep. It robs. It robs a good moment of reaching any kind of emotional high because you're like, oh, this is just so blunt, so blunt. Do you guys know about the Hatfields and the McCoys over there? What are you no? talking about? <laughs> Not a clue. That's uh, a historical family on this side, and they also surface in uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. But it's these families that are always fighting, and the joke is, like, nobody can remember why. But Oh, that. Yeah, that whole thing. Sorry, I when you mentioned the name, I was like, huh? Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah? But anyway, like... I think where you see, like, ham-fisted kind of uh, handling, look, you're you're hating somebody because you're told to hate them, and it's a lie. Like, that's what I get from that. You know what I mean? Not a bad bit of animation, by the way, because it is pretty cold. That, that's another yeah, take on that. Yeah, well, it, it is kind of almost otherworldly in, in a way. It's kind of like this disconnect. Like suddenly he's handed this information. We can also imagine it's not as direct as that. It's like the way that Scoop is seeing it in, in his head. Like the way the information is being presented to him. He's making it into, into, into a news report almost. Mm, cheers, brother. Okay. <laughs> With a little bit of creative, or a lot of creative license, I should say, uh, that moment is slightly less cringeworthy, but it seems a bit of a stretch for me, man. It just, like, it could have been so much better. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be better. I was like, this, and, and there's a moment coming up at the end of this episode, which I think is fantastically handled, in spite of its brevity, but, like, yeah, man, it just wasn't, it wasn't dealt with cool. I want it to be cool, man. Have this moment. Anybody? Because it's really cool that that he's had this reveal at the exact same moment that he's sold the Joes out. Like, he can't take it back. Mm. He's busy finding out the truth about his, his uh, enlistment into Cobra and the circumstances around that. And as as he kind of like slumps down with this, you know, heavy burden, Ellie Viper says something to the effect of, yeah, we've got all the, all the information we need. Those Joes will never know what, what's going to hit him. Like he's about to plan a surprise attack and, and scoop is to blame. And he's like, Oh no, what have I done? I, I picked the wrong team. 
basically. Mm. So there's a poignancy to that, which was quite nicely played. Also, anybody think it's uh, just, and it, this is a random, but anybody think it's a bit odd how Scoop's code name actually was his code name in Cobra? Once again, adds <laughs> credence to the fact that he might have been in journalism before Cobra approached him. And, uh, I mean, like, Kuja, this was your idea originally, but I've run with it since then, that he's like sort of Cobra Emeritus. He's like an honorary Cobra member who's like headhunted, basically, because of his position mm. as a journal. So much potential. Cool. Not, not to be too on the nose, but there's still Cobra agents trying to get uh, journalists. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Did anybody else laugh their asses off when that Annihilator gets shot out of the sky? In one of the earlier scenes uh, in that actual assault um, that is happening, there's a, there's a whole bunch of Annihilators. And you see the one is close to the camera and one is in the background and he gets shot. But the way he sort of falls out of the sky is just very like, ah! I thought, <laughs> I love that. Well, thank goodness they showed a little bit of dynamism in the way they fell out of the sky, because the way that they fly is so undynamic. They're, I can't believe it. They were animated, like, basically stiff as a board, weapon at their sides. Mm. They looked like, they looked like, no jokes, they looked like they'd been based upon their action figures in the most lifeless of poses. Like those of us who pose mm. our action figures literally like like a toy. You know, hands at the mm. sides, gun mm. in the hand, but like... At, oh, okay, it's like a Star Wars action figure, basically. A five points of articulation style action figure. You know, you can't really have many posing options with those bad boys. So I, I that's what the Annihilators look like. I wasn't too bothered because, I mean, there's no reference for like a floating human out there. So I, I wasn't too bothered. But, I mean, if... That, that might be bad, but if you wanted to talk uh, good animation, how about Slaughter and his team sliding underneath that door? That was pretty action-packed. Mm. Yeah, it looked like an optical illusion when Stalker slid under <laughs> there. <laughs> he Jordy LaForge the shit out of that door. <laughs> <laughs> now, i gotta, I got to give this episode some props, though, because... It's a fairly action-packed uh, episode. It's got a lot of beats in the episode itself, and it's it's fairly varied. Uh, I find that it's balanced a lot better than the first two, but the action is great. The action that we do get is really cool, and I was super excited to see things like the Fang 2 uh, with an Addy Viper as the pilot, which also makes sense. Seeing those Annihilators actually being used as Annihilators was great. You know, I'm glad that the Annihilators didn't become another target. You know, like a target. You know, like how the targets are misused. It's cool to see the annihilators being used properly. One of the characters even makes mention of the annihilators. Like he, he sort of mentions uh, a trait of theirs, and I, I don't know why I can't remember the word right now that he uses, but it was cute. It was poignant. So we're at the point now in this discussion when Scuba's basically sold out the Joes, or accidentally sold out the Joes, as he's figured out who he is and what the real truth is and everything. So Cobra's all coming in at their assault, and then we get brought through to Cobra Commander, the Baroness, and Norgahide uh, taking a nice little stroll through um, through the swamp as they make it through to the um, this ancient temple or whatever it is. And uh, I thought it was quite funny how Cobra Commander, now, now, Baroness, let's not hold a grudge. <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> Yeah, no, she remarks that she doesn't care who wins the fight between G.I. Joe and Cobra. She feels like uh, she's on the outs with both of them. 
which is an interesting, yeah, both interesting chance for a third faction to emerge. Unfortunately, we don't get that kind of payoff, but like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's surprising Baroness has managed to maintain loyalties with anyone. And also surprising that Cobra Commander has sort of taken her back in. Like, as I say, that moment should be building towards Cobra Commander, like, single-handedly slaughtering all of the people that betrayed him and saving Baroness yeah. for last. We'll never get it. But if if Operation Dragonfire was R-rated, yeah, I'd like to think that's how things would resolve for the Cobra High Command. Oh, yeah, I would totally go Game of Thrones. I, because He's a freaking snake, dude. No, he looks I know. built like a brick shit house. Yeah, he's getting ready to no. tear <laughs> Serpento a new one. It's like, ha ha ha, pansy boy with your bangs. <laughs> uh, and something to note here, and it was a criticism I had for the first two episodes um, that we had watched. And the third episode seems to start, uh, it seems like it's starting to get right now. And I'm talking about the voice acting. I find Chris Lotter, now that he's sort of in full swing, and possibly because Morgan Lofting uh, is maybe hearing some of his dialogue and having the opportunity to reply to it, or maybe they were both working in the sound booth, there is a a change in their their rhythm, in the in the rhythm of the dialogue. It sounds a lot more natural. It seems like both uh, voice actors are sort of in the swing of things now, because Baroness sounds a lot more like she like she does, or like she did, should I say? And Cobra Commander, while well, Chris Lata is in full swing, he's he's uh, doing some great work there. And um, while I'm on the topic of voice acting, I have really grown to love Low Light's voice in this series. Now, Thank don't, you. don't misunderstand me. Jeez. It is second. It is second place to his um, Sunbow voice. Low Light's voice reminds me of Michael Bean. And I love that we get to hear Low Light, you know, spew out a lot more lines in this episode. But I don't want to get there uh, too quickly. Just coming back to your point you made earlier, Steve, about Cobra Commander sort of rounding up everybody. It definitely feels at this point in the episode that he is manipulating things. He's doing what he does best. He's on the sidelines. He's watching the battle go down. He's not involving himself. He doesn't have to retreat or run away. He's using the Baroness. I mean, he has every reason to hate and despise the Baroness. But hey, you know what? She saved him from his little glass uh, snake cage prison. And she's helped uh, restore him to somebody he can manipulate here. So Cobra Commander is sort of doing what he does best. And it's great to see that in the series. And it's sadly something we don't see a lot of in the cartoon. Cobra Commander is his best on screen when he is being treacherous, underhanding, and manipulative, uh, which he is right now. Um, so I, I really hope that in a later episode he doesn't go and mess it up by being all Cobra Commander again. Or should I say, I hope later on in the episode he doesn't mess it up. Yeah, I think Cobra Commander is definitely coming around, and it's cool to have three different factions, you know, uh, essentially doing their own things. And Cobra Commander is best when he manipulates things, you know, in his own favor. I mean, if he was around to arrange his own transformation back into a humanoid snake person, he probably would have arranged for better clothes. <laughs> because is that did they bring that outfit along for him, or did he have to like make that himself? It's 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 very confusing that that the Baroness didn't plan for that. Like, oh, you know, we're turning him back into a person. He'll have to be naked now. I don't know. It's as if Norgahide just whipped up some ape pelts that he had lying around. <laughs> and that's why the other apes are like prodding it going, 
Bob? Dave? Is that you? I mean, I, I find it a little distracting when he's in snake form, just because I'm not watching He-Man, and it kind of feels like I am. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully he finds his Emperor's clothes pretty quick and all that. There was a couple other plot points in the show, was there not? I mean, it, it's a, it's still foggy to me. Okay, well, my summary is... Yeah. Jojo winds up at the South American temple... Cobra assaults it, led by the Alley Viper. Alley Viper gets shut down, cannot get through. He contacts Scoop to try and find out, to try and get information on how best to assault the Joes and get through. Scoop then gives him the information, which the Cobra computer interprets as uh, a way into the temple. Alley Viper's got the information on how to get into the temple, but not the means, because he's been shut out. So Cobra Commander gets hold of Ali Viper somehow, I don't know, forms some kind of alliance with him saying, you've got the information to help us, uh, to safely guide us into the temple. We have the location. We are behind the G.I. Joe lines. We can sneak into the temple, me and my team, and do what we need to do inside the temple, which is not very evident. It's like, did they access Dragonfire? To my mind, all they did was transform those monkeys into ape men of cobra anyways so this uneasy truce is now formed between ali viper and cobra commander but scoop is able to listen in on their top secret communications because he hasn't indeed thrown away his camera like he promised he would he's like oh i'm done with you camera and then he hears it's the voice of cobra commander Mm -hmm. what's going on Mm -hmm. here cobra commander is talking to ali viper oh i better listen in anyways scoop is able to guide the joes through the traps, hot on the heels of Cobra Commander, Baroness, and Norgahide, they find their way into to the main chamber where Cobra Commander uses the Dragonfire energy, presumably, to transform those monkeys into ape men. Then they have a fight with the G.I. Joes, send the G.I. Joes packing after the Sarge is left behind in kind of a holding action, uh, which, you know, you want almost Lowlight to have that moment of handing him the pistol saying, There's seven bullets in the magazine, Sarge. Make sure you save one for yourself. Like, you know, it's it's a sacrifice play, but it's not, because Sarge manages to make it out anyways. Stalker uh, manages to set off a booby trap on the way in and trip up on the way out. So I guess he's not the living legend that he was made out to be in the previous episode, because he's a little bit clumsy in this episode. All the Joes make it out and cause a cave-in, keeping the, the Cobras and the Monkey Men at bay. And Scoop has this big reveal. Lowlight's like, come on, man, it's all too convenient. How the hell did you navigate all those traps? You must be a Cobra sleeper agent. And Sarge is like, well, that's a pretty serious allegation. Unless it's true, is it? He confronts Scoop on the subject. And Scoop, in a crisis of conscience, knowing now that Cobra was indeed not his ally or his friend, that Cobra, in fact, destroyed his family home, and he realizes that the G.I. Joes are, in fact, his true friends, he manages to do away with everything that Cobra taught him, and he tells the truth. I guess he was a true blue G.I. Joe through and through in the, to begin with, because, like, you know, if, if Cobra had taught him anything, it was like, under those circumstances, buddy, it's perhaps best not to come clean. But no, he says, yes, indeed, I'm a Cobra agent. They slap the cuffs on him and off they run, just as the Baroness, Cobra Commander, Norgahide emerge from the rubble and lay down some heavy firepower, at which point we hear to be continued and the credits roll. Speaking of exposition... I'm curious, as the resident scoop expert, 
How, how did that scripting hit you, Robert? Like, I definitely enjoyed the tight shots of his eyes, the pullback when he, he realizes what he's done. How did, how did you feel about that arc? I thought it was, it was really impressive because I can't remember another, like, powerful character moment, at least in any of the Sunbow cartoon episodes, you know, like offhand. I mean, there must have been there. But the focus of this is still very much scoop and showing, you know, the difference between Cobra and G.I. Joe and what it means to be a G.I. Joe and what it means to be a Cobra and the methods that Cobra uses to manipulate the people that work for them, you know, if they aren't out and out evil already, you know, to get the best people to work for them. Well, G.I. Joe seems more upstanding and like you, you want to be good. You want to be a Joe because you see what these men, you know, what these people can do and you feel so much for them. You do stuff for them because you know they care for you as much as you care for them, if that all makes sense. <laughs> but definitely the animation in that scene was, was really good and like, Stalker's reaction was, he was like, what? You a cobra? Wow. But of course, Lowlight was, was very impressed with himself. He was like, I never trusted you from the start, or something like that. You're one cobra lowlife whose assets are mine. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, no, no points for guessing what the adult line would read as. What <laughs> Stalker but, say? You've lost it, but good? You don't hear that kind of writing much. Yeah, it's very, very well done. These shots and, you know, like the, I think it was the, the reflection of um, Scoop in Sergeant Slaughter's glasses. That was a really cool shot as well. And, you know, just Scoop taking his, his helmet off and he's like, guys, I've I got to be honest with you. And, yeah, I think that's that's probably my high point, actually, <laughs> is right that on. scene. The reveal. Yeah, yeah. mine too, actually. Uh, and it, it kind of partially makes up for my low point, which is the extremely on-the-nose exposition that we get from Destro. And Scoop's like, oh, man, Cobra, oh, no. I mean, that's that was weak source. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was just badly badly scripted and, and, and badly performed. You know, But the animation didn't give much leeway to, to make it... A, a huge emotional moment. I mean, it just, yeah, it, just, it didn't ring true for me. And I think that's a, a great shame because for once we have content that is very character driven, but we don't seem to have the performances and the scripting to support that. So in all the era of the, the Sunbow hyperbole, like all the rah, 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 shit, Shout a little louder, Flint. You're being attacked by a dinosaur from outer space. You know, all that kind of like hoorah, like insanity. And here we've just got a personal story, but like it could be done a lot better. I don't know. I, I, you know, I suppose one shows one's age in, in, in demanding different things from your I mean, cartoon. You know, as with the high point, there is it's an incredible moment. But then, yeah, of course, the setup for it. Is, is a bit is a bit uh, short, you know, a bit like rushed. But that kind of seems to be the way that Booth writes for his his story. I mean, he kind of rushes over certain things, glosses over things, um, you know, uses shorthand to kind of get you up to speed with what's going on. 
Like, certain things are more important to him than other things. What do you think of the pacing? Do you think we got to this point a little too soon? Or do you think that this is perfect pacing for day three of a five-parter? Like, does it make you question, well, where could they go with this from here? Scoop's been found out. Surely his story's reached a dead end. Well, he's been found out. But the thing is, this is almost like, I suppose, the Return of the Jedi. No, no, (laughs) that's wrong. Empire Strikes Back, in a way, you know, where, like, yes, he's been revealed, but this is his lowest moment in his story. How does he redeem himself after this? This isn't the end of his story. This is this is just the middle of his story. Did you say your low point, Robert, since we just kind of effortlessly swung into that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Um, my high point is, yes, as I said, it was Scoop's thing. My low point is probably... My low point is probably the... Motorcycle. Oh, Sorry, damn. guys. They dicing no. your Joburg, Joburg, Northumberland, no? Yes, yes. Flip. They passed Northgate there. <laughs> yes, Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would my low point be? Damn. Ape men. <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably go with the ape men, but like at the same time, I kind of liked a little bit of Friedman in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, kind yep. of like that throwback to, to you know, the previous era. So actually, the, 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 they're already the low point. I think, I suppose my low point would be that, like, yes, this is the emotional high point of the series, but not a lot happens other than that, you know, than the development of that story. Like, there's not, you know, like the action doesn't move stuff forward. The action is just, uh, like like scenery you know for for the for the main focus if that makes sense you know yeah it's it's garnish yeah it's garnish it's like he, his real focus here is is getting you know going through scoop story but the, the action could have been a lot more central to that i i think although i suppose it really is central because i mean he had to lead them through the the temple of doom that's right <laughs> Well then, I suppose my low point is that it's it's very derivative, I suppose, you know, very similar to other things we've seen before in the previous series, which is weird because, in general, it hasn't been very similar to the previous series. Maybe I don't have a low point. <laughs> Amazing. Gee, whiz. ride this high, Rob. Sorry, that, that, that took that took me like like three minutes to get to the realization that I don't actually have a low point for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> My high point has got to be Cobra Commando sort of coming back into form. As I mentioned before, I don't need to elaborate on on it too much more than I have. I just enjoy him being back. He's being his same old stupid bad self. He is trying to derail things because he's like a kid who doesn't have all the toys in the playground, uh, doesn't have the cool toys in the playground, and that's really annoying him. So he's doing whatever he can to get that to get that going. And, you know, and that high point is just coupled with. A lot of the stuff that you guys mentioned before, there's been some really great high points in this episode, actually. Uh, good talking points and stuff as well with regards to character development. So I've enjoyed that. Stuff that I haven't enjoyed, I am 50-50 about the ape men thing. Because on one hand, yes, I do love it. It is a return to form in the uh, in the sense of uh, the Freedman days. And it is just another bonkers Cobra Commander thing. I mean... 
on one hand, you've got Destro trying to seize Dragonfire so that he can, you know, rule the world with it or whatever it is that he wants to do with it. Cobra Commander stepping up to the plate and he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, I want to get this Dragonfire stuff mostly just because Destro wants it and Serpento wants it. But hey, I can make some monkey men. I didn't even know you could do that. I was just throwing words out and the magic happened. Cool. <laughs> you know, because that's t- totally what he does. So yeah, Monkey Men are a bit of a low point, but I, I suppose the Joes needed something to kill. It just bugs me because up until this point in the show, and this is why it's a low point for me, up until this point in the show, we've had a lot of stuff that we can buy in shops and play with. And that has been a true delight. And to now have something that we have to go and buy a He-Man figure of or something to put into our G.I. Joe line, that has that has killed it a little bit for me. But other than that, I had to really dig deep for my low point. Yeah, I'll I'll go back to our boy Copperhead. I know people aren't crazy about visors, but the animation did shine a little bit when they had to. Copperhead's hand animations are pretty expressive. They're well-drawn to kind of convey what he's doing. Um, Also, low light swinging on a rock, those kind of ripples through the, the reflection on the visor, that's classic animation. I mean, you see that a lot in anime when they're trying to save money, like the, the glasses will reflect or something. And it works. But I enjoyed the animation. Uh, the low point is just that, give me more Cobra. Give me more to look at. Like, apes don't have clothes on, neither do snakes. That doesn't excite me. So, I, I do like monkeys, you know, in their many forms. So, kind of half half low point, but I, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, no points for guessing that my low point is Scoop's revelation being played so poorly. Oh, that's right. And I think a high point, Lowlight. Lowlight's got all the cool lines. His uh, mistrust of this new member, it speaks to, like, all of our rational feelings. Like, how come everyone is just so embracing of this guy who did nothing but badmouth G.I. Joe in the first episode, and then all of a sudden happens to save the Sarge, and, like, Sarge pulls a uniform out of his ass, and, hey, buddy, you're a G.I. Joe. So, like, mm. Lowlight speaks for all of us who are doubters. You know, anyone with a slightly cynical uh, frame of mind, Lowlight is our hero. He is our avatar in this, in this miniseries. And he has a terrific line where Scoop is, like, explaining how they get inside the, the, the temple. And he's, like, going through all the motions and repeating the steps that Cobra Commander did. Incidentally... Voiceover saved an animation flub. Cobra Commander manipulates the dragon tooth toward the top of the frame. Scoop manipulates the dragon tooth toward the bottom of the frame. But in the voiceover, Ali Viper says, Move the dragon tooth. It doesn't matter which one. <laughs> so someone picked that up and, and managed to, to add the, the line. Anyways, technical points aside, Scoop says the following... Uh, and then Lowlight sends him up. The, the Sarge is like, hey, what's that? And Scoop's like, the dragon's head, what else? Lowlight says, ooh, the dragon's head, what else? Which is <laughs> terrific little character moments. And yeah, it's just delicious. So yeah, Lowlight gets my, my nod as a high point of this episode. Also wasn't crazy about the, the chief bad guy being, or baddies being mutated apes. Another little gag that I noticed, like, (laughs) that beautiful shot of of Scoop wielding his forty-five and 
desperately trying not to shoot the very statically animated annihilators. Like, <laughs> like first person shooter. Yeah. Oh, if I hit anything, I'm in big trouble with Cobra. And then what does he do in the very next <laughs> shot? He shoots Copperhead's hovercraft to pieces. Like, no. oh, hello. Anyways, that's okay. He saved Mutt, because that's really important. Uh, I'm going to rate it. I'm going to give it two and a half out of five. Sorry, guys. Uh, I don't I don't, um, I don't. really enjoy these kind of Tomb Raider-style episode plot devices. It had some cool, perhaps, um, skullduggery. I'm interested to see where the relationship between Cobra Commander and our named Ali Viper goes. Because it seems Cobra Commander is now recruiting the, the sort of the underlings of Cobra. These will become his loyal sort of inner circle moving forward. At least I'd like to think that. So it's nice to see that connection being made. But yeah, I just this episode is marred by the fact that I had such higher hopes for Scoop's you know, backstory coming out. And it was handled rather poorly. So I can't I can't let that get away. Two and a half, fifty percent. Damn. Next. I'm gonna give it a three, but that's also uh, mostly because I like the animation. I liked a lot of what was done. I found the episode to be interesting visually, and I do enjoy the Tomb Raider-esque moments in G.I. Joe, so I think that also added to it. Everything that we've mentioned in our high points has factored into it. Ape Warriors has knocked it down, so yeah, that's why I'm sitting on a solid three. That might even be a two and a half, but I'm going to give it three. I'll be nice to Deke. It's because it's the only niceness from me that they're going to get. <laughs> Where Steven breaks one way, I break another. I really think that Booth was flexing. Um, I don't know what he's going to do down the stretch. This is still my first viewing. But I'll go three and a half. I mean, a lot of it was clumsy, but uh, I like it. He's shrugging off the machine a little bit, so I'm still on his side. Well, this is this is interesting. I'm actually going to go in the complete opposite direction. Because the way that I interpreted, at least the way that I explained for myself, you know, the kind of reveal of, of Scoop's sordid history you know or at least his his him kind of going against cobra made a lot more sense to me than the the literalness of the footage i'm getting 4.5 oof 90 percent damn son (laughs) no i agreed look i mean if you if you do that interpretation that it was all kind of happening in his mind and he was seeing this kind of like destro speaking at him uh giving the exposition uh it's it's only slightly less wanky, but only slightly. <laughs> That's still no, pretty definitely. wanky. Like, I think he just he needed that info to get out there, and he wasn't exactly sure how to do it. He wanted this character to kind of have a big emotional moment, and it was the only way he could think to do it. I imagine it could have gone a lot worse. So because it's Scoop, and because we have these incredible moments, and because of my high point, that scene with Scoop, you know, kind of fessing up with all those shots. I mean, those incredible shots that they animated for that scene. It's amazing. I really enjoyed this. And the fact that we get a little taste of Friedman in there as well. You know, I was getting a bit nostalgic by this point in the series. I was like, where are the Fatal Fluffies? Okay, we don't have Fatal fatal Fluffies. We have mental monkeys. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Ape warriors of Cobra, attack! Uh, Three points I have... Point one, I mean, just off the top of my head, how I could have dealt with uh, the reveal, just 
in a subtlety like which would have been way cooler is like if they showed like kind of newscaster footage of the the, the fire at Leonard Michael's family home and mm. like they I don't know like he took the footage and kind of like enlarged one frame where you could see some something that gave away the fact that this that cobra started the fire like like a cobra vehicle pulling off into the distance like or, or i don't know um enhance old enhancing footage of him like <laughs> like hanging out bam 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 at, at his family home and then like there's like just a ticking time bomb in the top corner i mean that's a perfectly cartoony way of doing it and the time bomb has a cobra sigil on it like anything just more subtle than well, but I mean, at the same time, that's very over the top, though. I mean, when at this point in time, surely he would have investigated and come up short, you know, mm. in how did they so easily convince him? But I want to see like this, this withheld information, like just being a, a piece of damning evidence that is short of Destro confessing to absolutely everything. I wanted to split the difference. The second point I want to make is why couldn't we get a version of Baroness released in 1989 that mirrored this this costume. Like, mm. 88, 89, and thereafter, I mean, female characters drop off the scales completely. And the word that, that uh, was used by HCC788 in his recent Jinx video is a very apt one. Okay, there was one female released in the line every year up until 1988. And this was obviously tokenism his word but at least it still happened at least there was mm. some effort to release a token female because obviously they won't sell as well but they're important for the dynamic but for my purposes as a child growing up in the, the latter days of gi joe it would have given me an opportunity to have the baroness and she would have been pretty cool in this coloring a blue repaint of the classic Black Baroness, but with red accents on her gauntlets uh, and on her belt. I, I'm not so mad about the powder blue boots and gloves. Maybe if those were black, I'd be more in favor. But at the end of the day, man, they could have very easily thrown out a, a blue Baroness in the, the classic O-ring sculpt, and I would have been all over that. I mean, we got that, that funny blue one in the 25th anniversary, which is actually oh, my no, first don't, don't even talk about that, man. I'm talking about back in the day, baby. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. But I'm just saying that's that's all we got. And I don't even think that that figure is actually a celebration of the Deke um, series at all. No, no, it's more uh, drawn from the, the, I think, Mass Device mm. and uh, her initial appearances in the comic book. Before the action figure yeah. was available, she was typically depicted wearing blue and not black. Yeah. Yeah, because she has green glasses and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My third and final point, boys and girls, gentlemen and ladies, uh, is what is pulling me through and making me want to watch episode four, the second I hang up this call, is a one little teaser shot that we got in the stay tuned for our next episode uh, kind of images showing... Scoop wearing his Crimson Guardsman uniform. So, back in the day, if you were watching this on TV, you were getting a glimpse of him, presumably in the cockpit of some aircraft, wearing his Cobra uniform. And the mind races as to what must have happened for that to take place. He's escaped from the Joes. 
he's back with Cobra? Is he trying to earn their trust this way? Or is he rejoining his buddy Alley Viper in this new... Cobra Order. <laughs> new Cobra Order, exactly. Uh, established by the the uh, the returning Cobra Commander. So yeah, guys, I am very excited to watch episode 4. I'm totally going to do it. But this is Steve from G.I. Joburg saying tune in tomorrow, same time, same place, for day 4 of Operation Dragonfly. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed day 3. Join us for day four. It's it's probably going to be a blast. Um, if it's anything like episode three, it's going to be amazing. So check it out when it when it's when it's out there. Go for it. Blast off. Vodka. <laughs> <laughs>